Good morning, everybody. We good? You're here at 11. You didn't have to come at 9. You should be good, right? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Never have to do 9 again. <laughs> Ever. Glad you're here today. Hey, why don't we pray before we start? Gracious God, thank you for today, and thank you that we have the opportunity to be here to worship, uh, to love you, to sing, uh, to be in community with one another, but also to hear what you have to say to us. So God, I pray, may the meditations of my heart, uh, may the words of my mouth uh, be truthful. Uh, would they speak to us? It, would they not just be something that we hear and leave from this place, but we would hear and it would change us? So may we not be leaving here unchanged today, uh, because that's what you call us to be, uh, that's what you call us to do, uh, and that's what we want to do, is to love you deeply. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. So back in December, uh, Jamie and I celebrated our 20-year wedding anniversary. We got, yep, it was awesome. We got married, and yeah, we got married in 1997, and fast forward 20 years later was this picture. And uh, this was up in Maine. We celebrated. And I know what you're thinking when you look at that picture. Man, how well has he aged, right? <laughs> I mean, all that gray hair, where'd that come from? 20 hot years. <laughs> so anyway, um, when we got married, uh, Jamie and I had a, uh, we had a, a verse uh, inscribed on our, on our wedding ring. And uh, it comes from uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 which says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans not to prosper, not to harm you, plans to give you hope, and plans to give you a, a future. And uh, uh, that was kind of the verse that we've lived off of as, you know, struggles and things came into our life, ebb and flow, uh, we trusted, for I know the plans I have for you. And while there's certainly a, a lot of truth to the idea of God's plans in our life, um, you know, the, the prosper and hope and future, absolutely that is true. But I want to challenge us to think through something this morning, that it's possible that when we think about this verse, that it's, a po it's possible that we're thinking and living too small when we focus on us. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Well, um, uh, we might say, uh, you know, for you and I, we might think about this, uh, you know, hey, this verse is all about us. What's in it for me? What do I get out of it? How will God bless us, bless me, and how will we prosper? And again, there's truth, but there's a danger when we, when we kind of focus on the us part of that. It hones in on, on, on just one or two or very a, small, a very small group of people. We're starting a new series called Living the Gospel, and we're wrestling with this question, what does it mean to live out the gospel in our life? And we're asking the question, how does the gospel shape our life today? Is living the gospel about us, or is it about shaping, is it something bigger or grander or something more than just ourselves? The message title this morning is called Seeing Yourself as Sent. And the idea behind this is that while we're called to something, it very well may mean that we don't have to go very far when we are sent. Now, as I said, when you read that verse, uh, chapter 29, uh, verse 11 and chapter 29, it's a very fo laser-focused verse. And it does focus on us, and it sounds great. But when you pull up 
to another 10 or 12 verses in that chapter, a whole new picture comes to light about what this passage is really communicating and what it's trying to say. Let's read together Jeremiah chapter 29, 4 through 14. You can follow along. It'll be up on the screen. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So let's unpack that a little bit. What's going on here? This was written during the time of the exile. It's when Babylon had besieged Jerusalem and King Nebuchadnezzar had taken captive of many of the people in the kingdom of Judah, and they were now sent to Babylon as captives. This is the lead-in to a 70-year period of God's judgment on Jerusalem, where in, as a result of their continuous rebellion, God banished them from their homeland. Now, this was not just something that God just woke up one day and said, hey, I don't like how the Israelites are acting. This, this came over a period of, of hundreds and thousands of years. It was a cycle that happened over and over again where God would provide, God would would speak to Israel and call them to be his people, and Israel would follow God for a while, and then all of a sudden they'd start doing their own thing and head off their own way. And God would call them back, and they would repent, and they would, re they would return, and then God would, they, they would start the whole process all over again until God finally got to the point where he said, this is not going to continue to happen. How we move forward, we're going to, we're, you and I, Israel and God, we're going to have a different type of relationship. And the response was, he sent Israel off to uh, Babylon. Uh, Jeremiah was the prophet of Judah for 40 years. And when Jeremiah spoke, he was often ignored, persecuted, and rejected. Kind of like me when I talk to my kids in the morning. But uh, neither here nor there. Uh, so Jeremiah sends a letter to, uh, from Jerusalem to those who are in exile. And again, why? There's some false prophets, there's some naysayers who believed that the time in Babylon for them was going to be short. They were thinking it was going to only be like a couple years. So they're telling the people not to become enmeshed with the city of Babylon. They would be going home soon. So Jeremiah's letter instructs those in exile to prepare to be there for the long haul. So what does he instruct them to do? Three quick things. They were instructed to settle down in the city. God said, build houses, 
feed yourself, raise up generations, grow and increase in number. In other words, make Babylon your home. He also said to seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. Basically, he was saying add value to the city by serving, get involved, be a positive and influential force, not negative and divisive. Make the city better than when they first got there. One of the things that you see over and over in Scripture is God's desire for his people to be a light to the nations. We read in Isaiah 42, verse 6, where it says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you, and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Isaiah 49, verse 6, says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. In other words, what he's saying, it's not just about you. It's not just, it's not just about, the, about what, 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 is, what was. He says, I will make you a light for the, for the Gentiles, and that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This was much bigger, much broader, a bigger focus. And how this worked is that God's people, God's chosen people, were different. It was part of who they were. They were chosen by God. Yet though they were flawed and sinful, they still lived differently than their pagan captors. Why? Because God had invested in them, taught them, established laws and, and direction and provision and guidance for how they were to live. And it was very different than the pagan culture that was around them. So this was an opportunity for Israel, Judah, out of Jerusalem, to be a witness. So settle, they were called to settle down in the city, seek, and pray, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, and then finally they were called to pray for the city. Now Babylon, it's important to know that Babylon was not acting outside the control and the reign of God during this time. It's not like uh, Nebuch King Nebuchadnezzar just woke up one day and said, hey, I think I'm going to go after Jerusalem. The authority of Babylon was the authority of God over them during this time. So this was not just a, a physical investment that, it, uh, that the, um, Judah would have on the nation uh, uh, on Babylon, but it would be a spiritual investment as well. They would pray, and as they would pray, that the city would prosper. And as the city would pros prosper, they would prosper too because they would reap the benefit of that. So despite Judah's sin and rebellion... God uses them and this situation to, as sent people into the city of Babylon. Now what's important here for you and I to understand is that this is, we are seeing here the mission of God. God's path, God's direction, the way God operates is that he calls his people. He redeems his people. And for the sake of those who have been redeemed, to then now go out and be redeemers themselves. And you look throughout Scripture and you see God's mission throughout the Old Testament, right into the New Testament, and what we see today. Judah played the role of being sent people, redeemers, in the city of Babylon. Paul and the apostles played this role in the establishment of the church. Last week, 
Pastor Paul talked about the scattering of the, of, of, uh, of the church. We were, talking about it, uh, we were talking about it in our staff meeting earlier this week, that the reality is that the church plays this role too. Rich Peck said, we wouldn't even be here today if it wasn't for Paul and the apostles. What does that mean? God's mission is in each and every one of us. Each one is called to be part of God's redemptive mission to the world. This is what it means to live the gospel. We've spent some time as a, as a staff and as leaderships to, to think that through a little bit. What does it mean to be missional? What, what does missional mean? We hear that word, but it just it, there's a lot of confusion behind it. Missional for, for North River means people who are shaped by God and sent to express the love of Christ in every community. It's not just people being sent. It's not just going and doing good deeds out in the community. Anyone can do that. But there was something happening in the process of being sent that were changed as well. And often the shaping happens during the process of being sent. What happens? Our hearts turn towards God. Look at what happens in Jeremiah 29, verses 12 through 14. God says, then you will call on me. So this is after the 70 years. Then you will call on me, and you'll come, and you'll pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I had carried you into exile. Do you see what happened here? In the exile, in God exiling his people from Jerusalem, there, was, there would be a change of heart. There would be a change in the people. And he would restore them and bring them back. So what does that mean for us? We can find comfort in our discomfort. See, oftentimes we think that God's will, God's direction for our life is this happy roller coaster go ride. We think, oh, God is awesome. He's blessing me. He loves me. He's giving me all these things. I'm prospering. There's hope in a future. It's, it's amazing. But when the road starts getting bumpy, what do we do? Why have you forsaken me, God? <laughs> right? We do that. But what's happening here is that God is using those ebb and flows, those things in our life that are challenging, that are uncomfortable, and he reveals his comfort in that time, but he's doing something through that process. Friend, God's, friends, God's will is not necessarily a comfortable joyride. It's not a cruise ship that we ride on. It's more like a, a journey, a, 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 like a, a mountain climb, up, ebbs and flows and, and challenges. But on the other side of those challenges, God is doing something in us, at the same time, he's doing something through us. So we find God in our discomfort in our lives. How do we know this? Well, do you remember in the book of Daniel, chapter 3? Do you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? 
Let me give you a quick overview of what happened in that story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of the people that were carried into exile during those 70 years. And King Nebuchadnezzar, the one who went in and took them out of Jerusalem, established a decree. He said, you have to worship other gods. And Shadrach, and Abed, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego, and Shimshak said, <laughs> <laughs> said what? We won't worship other gods. So what happened? King Nebuchadnezzar got ticked off. He was enraged. He was angry. And he heated up a furnace, and he threw them into the fire. And what happened? They didn't die. And it blew King Nebuchadnezzar away. Here's what he says in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Shimshak, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied, defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save this way. Oh my gosh, what just happened? A heart change. A heart change in a nation that was against God. But the people who were sent to that nation were a witness of God. And it changed the king's heart. Pretty powerful stuff, huh? That's what's happening in this story. That's what's happening in our lives. That we're called in our discomfort. God is there. And we're called. We're, we find God in our comfort where we see something bigger that's happening in our life rather than just us focusing on us. So what's the big idea for us this morning? What can we take away? What's the statement that we can live by this week and, for, and, and, and moving forward? Sent people see their city as a place to invest in as they trust God to change their heart and change their community. Would you repeat that with me? Would you say that with me? Sent people see their city as a place to invest in as they trust God to change their heart and their community. Why does this matter? Maybe you're here for the first time and you're like, who cares about Jer Jerusalem? Who cares about Babylon? It was like ancient Israel. Or maybe you're here wondering, like, what's the connection? What's, what's the point? Why are we spending so much time in this? Why does it matter? The kingdom is at stake. People are lost without God. Yet in God's crazy way, I mean, God could have hired people. God could have hired professionals. But what God does is he hires you and me as scraggly, sinful, rebellious, lame people in order to have some kind of an impact in this world. You and I become redeemers in our city. And in our world. Yes? Yes. That's what this is. That's what's at stake here. So there's a challenge for us. There's a paradigm shift that's happening right now in the, in the church world. 15, 20 years ago, the way the, way the church worked was the, you, your pastor stood up on stage and said, go tell your friends to come to our church. And you'd leave and you'd say, hey, you should come to my church. My pastor's better than your pastor. 
right? No, not really. But you know, you know what I mean. You know what I'm getting at. There was an attraction to coming to church. And all we had to do was identify the attraction that was going to send people to the church. And, they, and people were like, this is great. You got a rock band. You got lights. You got this. You got that. You got coffee out in the lobby. I mean, this is amazing. It's not my church. But there's been a change. What's the change? This is the most unchurched nation. We have become the most unchurched nation in the history of the United States. People are not waking up on Sunday morning and saying, I think I'm going to go to church today. I think I'm going to pack, jump in my car and run down to North River because they have a great pastor, Paul Atwater, who preaches amazing sermons. What they're saying is, I'm not going to church. What is church? More importantly, they're saying, who is Jesus? Who is God? And what has God done for me lately? So this really puts a challenge for us as a church to not just be a church that's attractional. We have to adapt. We have to change. We have to do something different than what we've been doing in the past. Not because we're thinking, oh, hey, what new cool thing we can do. It's vital for us to continue to be an influence in our community. We have to go. We have to be missional. We have to be people who are shaped by God and sent to express the love of Christ in every community. That's what this is all about. That's why this, is, why this matters. That's why we're thinking through how do we do things differently. Last Sunday, I was so proud of this church. Over 200 people took place in the big events. Went to 20 places around the South Shore. Serving, weeding, painting, building, spending time with people, picking up dog poop out in the yard. Like, there was tons of stuff that was happening all around during that day. Why? Because it's an opportunity for us to go, to extend, to be sent, in order to, ex in order to reach people who don't know, yet know the gospel. It's why we're doing something like a movie night, where we're going into a community and we're using their town center because it's it most likely people wouldn't just automatically drive up here some night and go see a movie. We're going to go to them and go to the people who might never drive up here and say, hey, we're, do, we're in your backyard and we're going to watch a movie and we'd love for you to come and be part of it, a free event. Why? Because it begins the process of reaching people. It begins the process of new people hearing the gospel in a way that and in a place, a venue, a location that can be heard. One of the cool stories that I heard last week was um, uh, from someone who gave me a call and they said, hey, uh, Todd, I want to ask you about this idea. I want to host a Bible study for, for people who don't speak English. And... Um, uh, they were really fired up about it, something they'd done in the past, and they wanted to know what I thought about it. And I was like, that sounds amazing. I wish I could help you, but I only know one Spanish word, that's baño, and that's when I really have to go. Um, but they said, but as I went to Friends of the Homeless Shelter in Rehoboth last week, I met a bunch of Spanish-speaking women, and I thought, Maybe instead of coming to North River, having people have a Bible study at North River, that I would go and have a Bible study 
at the homeless shelter in Rehoboth. And she's like, I don't know if you're going to be mad about this, but I just want to know what you think about it. And I was like, that is awesome. <laughs> we don't need another Bible study here. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm not saying that the Bible studies here are bad. But what I'm saying is, is that we miss an opportunity if there are people out there who can't drive, who don't have, can't afford a car, and there's an opportunity to reach them by us going, by us being sent, by us extending the love of Christ in every community. And I, yes, that's what it's about. Now, before you start clapping, because I'm going to put you all in the hot seat right now, it's not just about the leaders of the church thinking up new ideas for how we can reach out into the community. It's you, and it's you, and it's you, and it's you. Each one of us plays a part. And when God puts something on your heart to say, I want to go and do something different, you're going to have our blessing. Because that's what this, that's what this adaptation, this change is about. It's about going into the community and reaching people that have not yet been reached. I got an email earlier this week from someone who said, hey, my heart is really heavy over the, the, the gas explosions in North Andover and Lawrence and Andover. And, the, and, and they said, what do you think the church should be doing about it? <laughs> so I reply, that's a great idea. What will you do about it? You're the church. <laughs> So I'm going to challenge you to pray and to think about how you are going to be the person that's going to help lead us into having an impact in the, in the area where there was gas explosions. This week, we saw a major catastrophe, a storm down in the Carolinas, Tropical Storm Florence. Thank God it wasn't worse than what they said it was going to be, but it was pretty rough. Did anyone see that goofy reporter who was like, I'm dying. And then these two kids are like, hey, what's up? How you doing? Right behind. <laughs> Talk about fake news. My gosh. <laughs> Who's going to go? Who's, on whose heart is that opportunity? Who's going to say, I'm going to, Put the rapid response trailer on the back of my car and I'm gonna uh, back of my truck and I'm gonna go down and help provide relief efforts. See, that's what this looks like. You are no longer just participants, you are part of the of, of, of God's redemptive plan. You're building the kingdom with each step that you take, that you leave from this chair and you go out into the community. All right, really quick. What is the application? If you haven't heard it already, what is the application for us today? Let me share three things. Even in our brokenness, in our sin and rebellion, living the gospel is a call for all believers. Even in our brokenness, sin, and rebellion, living the gospel is a call for all believers. See, God, despite their sin, God used the nation of Judah, of Israel, right? He used them despite them being sinful. And they were bad. <laughs> they were pretty bad people. <laughs> the things were unspeakable of what they had done. Well, the same thing works for us. Though we are broken, though we are sinful, God still uses us for his redemptive plan. What do I mean by that? 
There are some of us who are sitting here today who are extremely broken. You've had some sort of a traumatic experience that has made you feel like you couldn't possibly do anything for God. It's paralyzed you. And you've said, I'm out. Friends, can I tell you something? That is not true. The evil one would like nothing better than to make you feel that way because he wants to keep you out of the game. One of the things that we talk about in 301, one of our base path classes, which if you haven't taken, I really encourage you to take, is we talk about this thing called SHAPE. And it's an acronym for how God has shaped us and prepared us and gifted us for and equipped us for ministry, for service. And in SHAPE, S is spiritual gifts, H is our heart, our passion, A is our abilities, uh, P is our personality, but E, E is our experiences. And for some of us, we have had some good experiences in our life that we can share with others. But guess what? We've also had bad experiences in our life that we can share with others. And God uses those experiences, that brokenness, in order to utilize us for his purpose and for building his kingdom. God very well will take you in your brokenness and use you at the same time he will shape you and change you. Because oftentimes the change happens after we engage in what God has called us to do rather than before. So if you're here on the sidelines and feel like, I can't possibly be used by God, it's a lie. And I want to challenge you. I want to have a conversation with you after about how you can get in the game. We might have some habits and hang-ups in our life that we have to address. And I'm not sitting here saying to you today that, oh, you can, you can do whatever you want and still have a witness for Christ. What I'm saying is, is that it's often in that time that you're maturing and developing and being transformed. There's still ways in which you can serve and get involved. And there's still ways in which you can have an impact. It's an op and often what happens is that as we engage in that, we begin to adopt God's heart. We adopt God's call. We ad adopt God's uh, um, will. And it says to us sometimes in those moments of our habits, it says, I got to stop doing this. I got to live differently. Because God is doing something in me that's so radical that it's only God that's changing and doing that work, work in me. For some of us, we are extremely busy people. And part of that idea of it being about us, all about us, requires us to rethink how we are living life. Because being missional is going to require time, it's going to require relationship, it's going to require investment. And it's going to require us to maybe do something different with our schedule. We may have to stop doing something in order to be able to do what God is leading us and calling us to do. But the point here is, is that you don't have to be perfect. You have to be available and you have to be faithful. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you can engage and have a, have a mission and be part of the mission of God. So even in our brokenness and our sin and rebellion, living the gospel is a call for all believers. Second thing, sent people are praying people. 
Sent people are praying people. Two times in these ten verses, God calls for prayer. Two times in ten verses. Prayer accesses God's power, but it's also the change agent for our heart. And that's what God was calling, uh, was, was calling uh, those in exile to be and to do. Pray for the city that it'll prosper. Then you will call on me. Pray to me. I am a doer in my life. My go-to, my first response is what, ha what, what do I need to do? What needs to get done? Jamie's having a struggle. I don't sit there and listen. I say, what can I do to fix it? And everybody knows that's wrong. Right, good, okay, good, great. <laughs> she reminds me of that pretty much every day. <laughs> it's easier for me to just engage and go do something rather than stop and pray. Now, please, I'm, I'm, I'm clarifying this so you don't leave here and say, our executive pastor just said he doesn't pray. Because that's not true. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is that it's easy to react and go than to pray first. And one of the things that I've been challenging myself and working on, rather than waking up in the morning and going to the computer, waking up and going to the couch and spending time in prayer with God. Why? Because God calls us as sent people to be praying people. We can't do the work of God without praying for first for what God would have us do. And a good way to start in prayer is uh, to begin praying for impact. My question for you this morning is, do we pray for our neighbors? Do we pray for our town? Do we pray for our community here, for each other? See, there's something powerful and impactful that happens when we stop and we pray. A couple weeks ago, Luke Schrieffer was here, and he, he challenged us about that. What would happen if 300 people were praying for two people throughout the South Shore for 10 years? We're talking about an impact of over a million people. But that's something that we have to start now and build a practice of identifying two people or four people or 10 people that, or, or neighborhoods or cities and begin praying for them on a regular basis. Now, that's the easy part. Easy part. But I want to go a little bit deeper and, sh and raise a challenge question. How many of you talk about your city rather than pray for your city? How many talk about your city rather than pray for your city? Are you a complainer? Do you talk about other people in your town? About how odd they are, abnormal they are, what they've done, what they don't have? Are we strategizers where we say, this town really needs this community. It would, North River would be better if we did this. Or do we prophesy? Things aren't going to get better until A, B, and C happens. And it's not just out in our community, our town. It's also right here. Someone pulled me aside at the end of the service and said, that happens here all the time. And you know what it's called? Gossip called gossip. If we're spending so much time talking about people rather than praying for people, that's gossip. And that's not helping us, each other, 
It's not helping advancing the kingdom of God, and it's not helping the witness of a church. If you are doing that, you're not part of the problem. You are the problem. And my challenge for you is to stop. Pray for each other. Pray for your city. And if you're hearing people talk about your people or your city or your community, you have a biblical responsibility to tell them to stop. Why? Because it's not building up. It's not adding value. It's not changing the culture. It's only dragging it down and making it worse. So in our brokenness and sin and rebellion, living the gospel is a call for all believers. Sent people are praying people. And then the third thing is that sent people make an impact wherever they go. The word city in this passage is not just the city of Babylon. Babylon was an empire. It was huge. And the people who were in exile were dispersed. They were all over the place. So the interpretation, the idea, the concept behind city was wherever you are. Wherever you are, seek that city to prosper. And that's how we have to kind of look at this concept. Some of you travel into Boston and you spend 12 hours a day in the city of Boston. You know what? That's your city. Each one of us lives in a town and in a community. And we spend a significant amount of time there. That's your city. Some of us drive to uh, corporate, park, corporate parks. That's your city. And even families. You live with, with one another. You have kids. That's your city. Sent people make an impact wherever they go. Jamie and Riley, back in December, uh, we gave Riley a Christmas gift and um, we gave her some boxing lessons. And Jamie decided to start going with her, and the, uh, the idea behind it was it was an opportunity for, uh, to let out some aggression, um, and it was an opportunity for Jamie and Riley to do something together. So they go to this seedy-looking um, uh, boxing ring gym, and uh, there's this guy there, his name's Steve. And um, uh, you know, at first, he just took their money, and he was their coach, and told them what to do, and, uh, you know, basically he made them suffer because the, uh, the activity, the exercises, and the, the stuff that he had them do was just like gr grueling physically. They came home, they're like, I hate Steve, you know, and like, oh, Steve, right? Steve's a little bit of a wild guy, a little bit off color, and uh, one day uh, they were there together, and, and he was there, and uh, he said something happened, and he swore, and James was like, hey, it's my daughter right there. And he was like, oops, sorry. <laughs> a couple of weeks later, Riley was at the punching bag, and she did something, and I don't know, hit her off the head or something like that. I don't know exactly what happened, but she said something that sounded like a swear or was a swear. And Steve was like, hey, watch your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> when we were going to do the movie night back in August, Jamie, Jamie and Riley were talking to Steve about it. It was like, hey, why don't you, Riley, Riley and Jamie said, hey, why don't you come to our movie night? Oh, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. Well, what time is it? <laughs> a little bit later, over time, as Jamie's gotten to know them and they're talking and they're making connections, now all of a sudden Jamie's like, hey, you should come to our church sometime. I wouldn't step foot in there. The lightning would strike me dead if I walked through that building. What time's your services? <laughs> <laughs> 
But do you see what happens there? It's not just walking up and saying, hey, here's a track. You should come to my church sometime. It's an investment in people. It's an investment in lives. It's an investment in what could be in building the kingdom. And it's something that takes time, investment. And it's, it's very much could be the things that you're already doing. It's just being willing to have your eyes open to what God could do in those moments of your everyday life. We have to be at a place where you and I are dreaming and praying about the impact that we can have wherever we are. Wherever we are. So what might this look like for you in your neighborhood? I was kind of thinking through a couple ideas, and I thought I'd share them with you this morning. Maybe you organize and you host a ladies' craft night in your community, in your neighborhood. If you have a skill, or maybe you have tools, let your neighbors know that you can use it, that they can use it, and let them help for free. One of the things I did for years when we lived, in, uh, when we lived uh, up, up in the Metro West area is my neighbor next door, I used to uh, blow, uh, use my um, snowblower, and uh, I'd blow down her driveway every snowstorm. She'd call, and she'd say, uh, she'd talk to Jamie, she's like, my angel was here, he was so awesome. And I'm like, yes, yes I am. <laughs> <laughs> and then she'd buy me a Dunkin' Donuts gift card and a whole bunch of cookies. I'm like, no, my wife won't let me have those, I'm just doing this just to be a nice guy. But maybe that's something that we do on a regular basis. Maybe you, maybe you start a walking and running group in your neighborhood. Now, uh, I almost kind of crossed that out because that would never be me, but for you overachievers, feel free. Start a walking and running group. Students, offer to babysit neighborhood kids so that the parents can have a date night. Set up a meet, a meet with your neighbor's night uh, with drinks in your driveway and in your front yard. Non-alcoholic, of course. Host a sports game watching, uh, host a sports game watching party. If you want to expand and do something beyond your neighborhood, think about what you might do in your town, in your community. Maybe it's being a coach on a sports team. Even if you don't have kids, you can still, and you, and you, you coached at one point, there's still an opportunity to go back in and help build up the next generation. Maybe it's getting involved in the local schools. Maybe it's identifying a community event. Where, where the town is coming together and you think, well, how can I serve? How can I help? Or maybe I can challenge you to be bold and to sit down with a police chief, a fire chief, a town official, a school official, and say, what do you need? How can I help? How can my church help? You want to see, see someone all of a sudden start listening to you? When you've asked someone to help, how they, how you, what they need versus just walking in and say, this is what I'm going to do for you, it changes the playing field. All of a sudden, people will listen. Wow, this person listened to me. They heard what my need was, and they're going to help me fulfill it. That's pretty powerful. I want to share with you a radical story that a church did uh, just recently, uh, as early as this summer. There's a church in California called The Rock Church. And uh, down the road from their church, on a corner, for the last 50 years, lived a, uh, was, a was a strip club. And um, this uh, family saw this every day, this, this building, this image, for 50 years. And early in, in August, guess what happened? It was for sale, and quietly the church swept in and spent $1.2 million to buy that building. They have no plans for what they're going to do with that building. There was no 
grandiose vision of what's going to happen in that, in that location. But what they do know is what's not going to ever happen there again. Wow. You want to talk about being sent people? You want to change a community? They spent $1.2 million just so that a strip club wouldn't exist in that location ever again. That's powerful. That's powerful. That's amazing. What might God have North River do? Maybe it's not spending on $1.2 million. But how is God positioning North River to have an impact on the South Shore? Paul Tripp says this. He says, you will never face a day that is not filled with missional need and opportunity. You will never face a day. Every day that you wake up, you have to look at your life and say, there is an opportunity for missional need. And then it's an opportunity for you to wrestle with how your eyes are open to that specific need. And are you going to capture the God-given opportunity that stands before you? Friends, that doesn't get, that, that, it's not achieved in our busyness of life with our head down focusing on us. It's not going to come from us um, doing our own thing. It's going to come from us turning towards God, being changed by God, shaped by God, in order that we can have an impact in our community. And that's what our vision is all about here at North River. That's what we're moving to this fall. People being forever changed by God's love, being changed, but then daily changing the South Shore and beyond for Jesus. Why? Because sent people see their city as a place to invest in, and they trust God to change their heart and their community. Are you with me on this? Let's pray. God, these are powerful words, yet challenging words, and I would ask that in the minutes and the hours and the days to come that we would not just let those fall by the wayside, but rather you would speak to our heart and that you would move us in a way that is changing us, shaping us, forming us, but is also changing, forming, and redeeming the South Shore and beyond for you. We want to be kingdom builders. So God, use us. Use us as we are, and we surrender to you on what you want us to become. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Wow, thank you, Pastor Todd, for all these things to think about.